You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. Would you uh, stand with me? I'd like to read the portion that we have for today. So again, we're in the book of James chapter 3. Hope you brought your Bibles with you. If you haven't, that's fine. We'll have it projected on the screen. So, But we are in James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Again, just to kind of give you a heads up, this is going to be, again, a convicting passage. It has been for me. Um, and I just, I just pray that God's word is, would really, really just bear some fruit today in us. And not only today, but as we meditate on God's word, that it would for the weeks to come and the months to come. Amen. Let's just read God's word. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. Huh. It is restless, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this convicting word. We don't even have to get into it. Uh, We can kind of sense it and feel it, and we already feel convicted. But Father, I ask, at first I want to thank you for this word. Lord God, that that all scripture is is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and, and, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And we thank you for your word, Father. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would pierce through the darkness in our hearts and the blindness and the hardness, Lord God, and and, and plant this seed uh, from your word in our hearts this morning, Lord God, and would you please bear much fruit that our hearts would change and then, Lord God, that our mouth would just speak blessing and speak encouragement and and that we would be glorifying to you, Lord God, and and just bless others and, and not the opposite. So, Father, I pray that you would do a great work, that you would help us um, stay focused today, help us not be distracted by anything, Lord God, especially by our thoughts. Again, I thank you for what you've done at the cross at Calvary, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
Well, the book of James, as we've said every week, I think, is um, written by Jesus' little brother, James. Imagine being the guy who shared a bunk bed with the Lord. Uh, James saw Jesus grow up. Uh, James saw Jesus live and do stuff. Uh, James saw him die on a cross and resurrect and return to heaven. James was a witness to all of these things. And, And then James went right into ministry, telling everybody about his big brother, Jesus, that now his Lord and Savior. And what I like to say is that James is the blue collar scholar of the New Testament. He didn't go to a university. Um, not that that's wrong. No, that's not what we're saying. But he wasn't formally trained in some big institution, right? But, but having, I think, Jesus as your big brother and Mary and Joseph as your mom and dad, I think that James had some deep insight just within their family there. But more than anything, uh, the Holy Spirit was with him that led him to even write this amazing book that we are just benefiting from now. But for James, Christianity is really about practical living, practical life. And it's answering the practical question of what do you do? Well, we see this a lot, just even kind of walking and journeying through this book. How do you take your faith and put it to work in the normal daily things of life? It really gets practical, right? And today's message is not for anyone here because we're all emotionally healthy and filled with the Spirit. That's a joke. <laughs> Thank you for laughing. <laughs> the world we live in is, in is constantly seeking to get us to emotionally escalate and engage in unhealthy conflict, in unhealthy conversation. And what James wants to ask us today is this. How does your faith work in those moments? How does it work? How does the gospel come out? How do we flesh out the gospel in moments like that? Since we're talking about the tongue and the words that we speak, let me ask you a question. Do you know how many words actually the average person speaks in a lifetime? A lot. (laughs) Let's move on. (laughs) I looked it up on the internet because the internet is, you know, um, that's where all the truth is, especially Google, right? And what I found was a guy by the name of Giles Brendrith. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. And in 1984, he published a dictionary And he figured out how many words the average person speaks or communicates verbally in a year. And the number he came up with was about a million words a year. And he kind of said about 860 million in a lifetime. Now, this was 1984. Some of you weren't even born then. Now, I don't know if you know, since then we've created something called the internet, uh, right? And now we've got our cell phones too, and we text, and we email, and we have many online conversations, and we post online, and we like, and we tag, and we comment. And the point is this, the amount of communication has exploded, just exploded. We're now communicating more words than ever in the history of the world. They are saying that the average person today the average person speaks at least, at least 7,000 words per day. That's about 2.5 million a year. But if we start adding all the conversations and on the, all the online conversations that we have, the number just explodes. So my question to us is, how many of those words are coming from the heart of God? How many of those conversations are communicating the heart of God? Huh. 
James told us earlier in chapter 1, if you remember, verse 19 and 20, uh, and he says, Know this, my beloved brothers. And I'm pretty sure you, you, you remember these two verses. Let every person be what? Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I mean, James told us to speak less. And what do we do? We speak more now. Our chances to produce the righteousness of God have diminished significantly just by looking at that. And so what James is going to do, he's going he's to pick up that theme from chapter 1, and he's going to, again, pick it up in chapter 3. Uh, when somebody is on the last nerve, when, when we're tired, when we're frustrated, when we're angry, when we're discouraged, when we're fearful and anxious, the words that we speak, do they bring forth life or death? Which is it? Are the words that you speak glorifying God and building others or just the opposite? Which is it? And the first thing James is going to tell us is this. This is our first, our, our first point. Uh, your tongue wants to be your master. Your tongue wants to be your master. Now we're going to, let's just walk through the text and kind of break it apart a little bit. Verses 1 and 2. Not many of you should become teachers, my beloved, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So I guess we're going to be talking at least a little bit about teachers and judgment, because it really it comes up in these two verses. But let me just start by saying this is first and foremost a convicting passage and message for me. Uh, because when it says, hey, Ovi, watch your mouth, <laughs> especially if you're a teacher, watch your mouth because you're under double judgment. That's, that's, a very, con- that's very concerning for me. <laughs> I don't know if it is for you. That is very concerning for me that as a teacher, as teachers, we are judged more strictly. But it makes sense that God would say something like that, right? Doesn't it? Because what... what what you're teaching impacts more people, and the more people you impact, the more accountable to God you are. The more words you speak, the more accountable to God you are. That's how it works. This is probably a good time to say this, but the truth is that in one aspect, the truth is that we're all teachers. One aspect. We're all teachers, or at least we should be. I mean, some of us are parents, right? That's kind of teaching, I mean, how many of us realize that parenting is teaching and we have this immense responsibility to teach our children? When you have a child, you suddenly realize that, you know, that they're going to hear what you say and they're going to echo what you say, right? The good and the bad. So you are teaching them whether you realize it or not. Maybe another way that you teach is by having a trade. You know, that's, you know, an example, a trade in construction. Maybe you own a company. Maybe you're in management. Maybe you're in some leadership position at work. Or you're training employees. Maybe you work in HR. And actually, quite a few people at Summit are literary teachers. Like, that's what they do in elementary or high school or even homeschool teachers. We even have at least a coach that I know of, which falls under the category of teaching. Some of us are leaders in different ministries at church. And then, if you haven't heard your category come up yet, well, guess what? We are all called to what? Disciple. We all should, 
We all should pursue uh, discipleship. We, we, we have to make disciples to share the gospel with the people around us. And guess what? That kind of makes you a what? A teacher. So in one sense, we are all called to be teachers. So for all of us, the question then is, looking at these verses, how does this relate to judgment? Because they kind of come together. Because James is talking about teachers being judged and being judged more strictly. Well, I believe that there are three kinds of judgment, judgments rather. First, there is a judgment that comes from others. This is kind of a simple one. Like I don't need to do too much studying of the Bible to realize that, okay, when I teach people that I teach, they're going to judge me at some extent, right? And if you're going to teach, you're going to have to, you know, kind of take the judgment from others. If you're going to call the shots, you're going to have to take the shots, right? That's the way that teaching and leadership works. And sometimes the criticism that comes from those that you teach is completely undeserved and they're just attacking you because they ideologically or theologically disagree with what you have to say. That's just part of it. And a lot of it is simply because they're probably living in sin and the devil is using them to get to you, to get you down. So there's that, there's that possibility. But when it comes to judgment from, that comes from others as you are pursuing teaching, um, generally speaking, let me just give us a tip, a great tip that can really help us with that since we're all kind of called to teach. Billy Graham, you may have heard of, of him. In a leadership book that was written regarding his life, um, it said that he turned his critics into coaches. I thought it was pretty cool. He turned his critics into coaches. And it's this idea that when we would teach, when he would teach, and people would criticize him, rather than getting defensive and fighting with them, he would, get, he would humble himself and allow them to make him a better teacher. And, and, and so the helpful tip is this, just have ears to hear. And of course, not, not, you know, not about everything that is said, because a lot of stuff that comes our way is just garbage. It lies. But anything that is said that might help you become a better teacher. So convert or turn your critics into coaches. The second kind of judgment, so we have judgment from others. The second kind of judgment is not from others, but is ultimately from God. And this is a big one. And we have to touch on it because we're talking about judgment. Uh, now, James is the little brother of Jesus, like we know. And I'm sure he remembered Jesus saying in Matthew 12, 36 and 37, and I quote, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Deesh, that's, that's heavy. For by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. Now, imagine you stand before Jesus at the day of judgment and he pulls up all your emails and he's like, let's go through them. Then every word, that's what he said, every, every word. Then he pulls up your texts, let's go through these too, okay? He pulls up your internet search history, let's go through this and see where, where you're at. And then all your social media comments and likes and reposts. Let's go through this as well. And then he replaced all of the conversations in your life. And if you ask me, that's quite terrifying. Dee, that's just, that is an incredibly concerning reality. This is a perfect spot in the sermon to say this about judgment. This second judgment that we're talking about, God's judgment towards us. There are two kinds of judgment on that last day that comes from God. 
And for those who are not followers of Jesus, this will determine the degree of punishment that they will experience in hell. This is just the reality of what the Bible says. And by the way, hell is a prison of perfect justice where the punishment absolutely fits the crime. And what Jesus is saying is, is in this passage, it's not just sin in general, but communication sins. That's what he's talking about. Additionally, for those who are genuine Christians, the day of judgment will be a day of rewards. Very different. It's a day of rewards because you are already judged at the cross of Jesus Christ. How amazing is that? If you're a Christian and if you belong to Jesus, God already judged you as a sinner at the cross. That's the power of the gospel. And he chose to forgive you through the substitutionary sacrifice of our Lord and Savior. And so what this last day of judgment will be for the genuine believer, it's nothing else other than a judgment of rewards, an assessment of rewards, if you may. And these rewards are rewards for being faithful to God in this life in every area possible. And the third way of being judged, so we looked at others judging us, God judging us. And then the last one that I want to just kind of mention um, is, is, which is probably the best way to live for that last day of judgment from, from God, is for us to judge ourselves. It's for us to assess ourselves. You hear people say this all the time, well, no one can, only God can judge me. And uh, Actually, that's not true. <laughs> you can also judge yourself. And, and, and by the way, it's really helpful to judge yourself before you stand before God judging you, right? This judgment of ourselves that we are talking about is basically to evaluate your own life and ask, what are the things that I am saying that are not helpful, helpful or truthful? What are the words that I'm speaking that are beating people down rather than building people up? What are some of these conversations that I'm having that are not glorifying God? In this personal assessment that we're talking about, and more specifically in our context, an analysis of our own communication is a very, very good and healthy thing to do. And it's not just for the sake of becoming better people. Let's just all, you know, shut our mouths and become better people by not saying certain things. No, sure, that's a byproduct. But it's because that's the new life that God designed for us to live. And because he loved us first, we love him back by living life in a way that honors him. And this is how we honor him, by controlling this right here. So let's talk a little bit about our tongues, because... I'm just fascinated and surprised that James apportioned so much time of his book to this member of the body right here, the tongue, the mouth, and the words we speak. So it's got to be important, right? And specifically the unhealthy and evil and detrimental way that we have been raised in our homes to use this thing right here. That's what I want to talk about uh, at least a little bit. I mean, some of us grew up in homes where literally the parents or the grandparents or both we're just cursing all the time and cussing all the time. I mean, we tend to think of cursing as, you know, using bad words, and it can be, sure, but sometimes a curse is a powerful generational binding. We, we look at our kids and sometimes we say the most horrible things because we're echoing the same things that our parents falsely prophesied over us. Some of you were told horrible things as you grew up. You're an idiot. Actually, I got that last week. 
I qualify. <laughs> You're a failure. You're a disappointment. You blew it again. You can't be trusted. You don't grow up. You don't listen. There's no hope for you. There's no future for you. I don't even, I'm not even sure why we made you, but we had you, right? Think that's all you heard. God instructs us to put blessing over our family. But, but, but we chose to put cursing over our families with the words that we speak. And that's exactly what James is saying. We're supposed to put blessing over our families, over our kids, our parents, our wives. We're supposed to use words like, I love you and I forgive you. Not just lip service from the heart, sure. And words like, I have hope for you. There's grace for you. God has a plan and a future for you. But instead, we curse. And sometimes what we do is in our moments of frustration and anger, James says we all stumble in many ways. All of us. There's no perfect teacher out there. We all stumble in many ways. And we don't bridle our tongue. We don't control it. What happens is sometimes in those moments, we're echoing what our parents always said to us, not what our Father in heaven says. And we wonder, why do I say these things? I hate, I hate it when my dad would call me names, and, and, but I find myself repeating it. It's because we're living under the same curse. It's because we're, and at the same time, extending the curse that was put over us, and we don't even know it. But listen, this is the awesome news. But listen, we are in Jesus Christ now. And being in Christ, we have a new life now a new Lord over us that wants us to live differently, a new Lord that freed us from, the, from these curses. So then we should ask, what does the Father in heaven say? Because that's what matters. Not what my dad said, right? How, how does the Father want me to express myself? How can I bring honor to my Father in heaven through the words that I utter? Because now I can through the power of the Holy Spirit that's in me because I'm a believer. That was a great spot for amen. <laughs> so now James is going to, to talk about the tongue, right? And, and now this is going to get really personal. And, and he's going to use some very strong images. And I think to try to emotionally awaken a sense of urgency in us. Because, you know, we, we come to church and we hear people, you know, preach. And like, oh, that's cute. That's great. That's awesome, right? That's important. Yeah, sure. No, 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 no. What James is going for here, this needs to be extremely urgent. And so what James is going to say next is, uh, and our next big point is, your tongue wants to run wild. Your tongue wants to just run wild. Let's continue with verse three. If we put bits in the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. If anyone knows anything about horses, and we're talking about, I, I don't, I had to read some stuff. <laughs> and we're talking about horses because that's the first analogy that James gives us in verse three. And it's incredible how disciplined and controlled horses can be. And we can show that image. I have an image of some horses. One is a very disciplined horse. One is not. <laughs> but if a horse is not broken so that, they, so that he becomes disciplined, he can, he can actually be very dangerous. Actually harm people, even kill people. And at the same time, a wild horse or a runaway horse is worthless. But a trained horse can be priceless. But you know what makes the difference? Do you know what makes it possible for them to become disciplined? 
a little tiny bit in the mouth. That's it. And now all of a sudden, the rider has authority and dominion to control this massively strong and capable beast. And again, the analogy that James is trying to, to convey is of our tongues. A small member of the body, one that has the capability of tremendous amount of power and control. So James says, you are needing to bridle your tongue, sir. You are needing to bridle your tongue, ma'am, and you're needing to stay in the saddle of your own emotions, meaning control and discipline that small member that does so much harm, your tongue, so that your whole body now is directed and affected in a positive way, so you bring glory to God and bless others, not the opposite. Can I give you a quick tip that can help us with taming our tongues? If you get sucked into a certain, in certain conversations where you lose the bridle on your, on your tongue and you get bucked off the horse of your emotions, so to speak, sometimes what you need to do is just walk away and not have that conversation anymore. Just walk away. So much better. In Genesis 3, actually, Satan shows up and he has a conversation with Adam and Eve. And it's literally been brutal for us humans ever since. You know that what Adam and Eve should have done when the serpent showed up? It's like, hey, I want to just chat with you guys for, no, no, and just walk away. No, we're going to go on a date night. No, 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 don't want to hear. They should have just walked away. My question to you is, why do you have to have the conversation with that person? Why do you need to have the argument? You know how it always ends. Why? Just walk away. Why do you need to get sucked in and be triggered? There's this constant battle between us and our tongue. And James is going to use some other images to to awaken a sense of urgency within us when it comes to the power of our tongues. And the next point he wants to make is this. Your tongue wants to sink you. It's not only that your tongue wants to run wild, but the next thing he's saying, your tongue wants to sink you. Verse 4. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Now, now James is primarily talking about sailboats in that day. He's not talking about cruise ships. And, and, And these images are indicating a powerful possibility for good or evil that is directed by something very, very tiny, very small like a bit in the mouth of a horse or a rudder on the back of a ship, right? Very tiny objects, items. So again, a horse, tremendous power that has to be directed well. A ship, tremendous power that has to be directed well. In both occasions, if it's not directed well, people get hurt and even die. And all the energy is used for devastation and not for good. Now, let's think about this. How big is a ship and how small is a rudder? can't even compare to different worlds. But what happens if you lose the rudder? I'll share a picture with you. It's already up. Great. So not sure if you've seen this. This is a particular ship. And this should awaken a sense of urgency in us. Let me, this is the Bismarck. I don't know if you've ever heard about that. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. This was a ship constructed by the Nazis in 1940. It was the largest, strongest battleship built in the history of the world up until that point. Most of the ships had 8 to 11 inch rounds. This ship 
shot 15-inch rounds. It was considered an unsinkable ship. And they were anticipating that this would allow the Nazis to decimate all other military fleets at sea. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the Bismarck. It was commissioned in 1940. It was 823 feet long, the largest battleship in the world. Eight guns, like I said, shells 15 inch across. Additionally, some five dozen other armaments. Now, the Bismarck's on board targeting computer even for that, for that time, it was just fascinating, was so precise that it blew away the HMS hood, which had been the pride of the Royal Navy, and the Bismarck hit it with a single shot. That's how precise it was. It goes on to say, as grand as the Bismarck was, it had one small but fatal weakness. It had a vulnerable rudder, which was located right beneath its thermal exhaust port. In the darkness of, 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 of this one night, May 24th, 1941, the Royal Navy attacked the ship with little success, they say. The original shots literally just bounced off the ship all night long until one torpedo hit its rudder. The boat was severely disabled and then the ship was attacked fiercely and ultimately defeated. That ship, this unsinkable ship, came down because one torpedo found the rudder. That's it. There was a slogan that came out during World War II, and it was all over the place on different posters. You've probably heard this phrase, and it said, loose lips sink ships. Loose lips sink ships. And the point was, we're at war, and if you know what is going on on the battlefield of combat and in battle, Man, just don't talk about it. That, that will jeopardize what we're doing here, right? And that's exactly what was happening. They say, hey, the rudder, that may be in a vulnerable place, you know, just, right? So don't talk about it because the enemy could find that out and that could put at risk your soldiers and your troops. The slogan is still true today. Loose lips sink ships. And I think that this is what James is kind of going for, is saying, the point is this, watch your tongue, it is a small member of your body, but boy, it can ruin your marriage if you don't control it. It can ruin it. So don't sink your ship. You, you've built a marriage. God helped you build a marriage. Don't sink your ship. God helped you build a family. Don't sink your ship. God blessed you with a ministry. Do not sink your ship. And the thing that can sink your ship, even if it seems indestructible, is just some loose lips. Some loose lips, anger, some bitterness, and all of a sudden you've sent a torpedo into your own ship and down it goes. Like, wow, okay. The third analogy James is going to use is wildfires. And this is again, quite an image. And the point of all these images, if we can put the next slide or especially this last one, is to awaken a sense of urgency in us, like I said. And here's the next point James wants to make. Your tongue wants to unleash hell. Run wild, sink you, and then unleash hell. Man, some, some, some images here that are, wow, okay, okay, we, we got to take this seriously. Okay, your tongue wants to unleash hell, verses 5 and 6. Let's, let's read them. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire? And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. 
The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. This was the Dixie Fire from just a couple of years ago from California. How many of you remember seeing that on the news? Yeah, Amanda and Nick. Um, this is what a fire looks like. I, 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 now, let me just tell you a little bit about this Dixie Fire, right? 1,300 structures were destroyed. You know how much money they spent just fighting this fire? $540 billion to put it out. It burnt nearly a million acres, larger than New York City, Chicago, Dallas, and L.A. combined. Question, how did it start? No one knows. <laughs> no one knows. There's a couple of different guesstimates. Here's the big idea. It just takes one small spark. And the next thing you know, a million acres are gone. It was so small that nobody saw it, and it moved so fast that they didn't even know where it started from, which is crazy. This is exactly what is happening in our world today. Every day is just rage and anger and fear and emotional triggering and yelling and blaming and threatening and intimidating, and we abuse verbally, and then we wake up the next day and we do it again. Here's some of the ways that it manifests, this manifests itself, gossiping, slander, defamation. And by the way, let me just say this as well. Some of the things that we spit out of our mouths about public figures is horrifying. It's, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of the time, unleashing hell and fire for destruction on, on the earth is about those who are in positions of leadership or authority because everyone's doing it. Ah, oh, let me just help spread the fire. The Bible says we should be praying for politicians and those in authority. Instead, we're setting them on fire. Listen, I don't like a lot of the people up at the top. <laughs> I don't, and we should speak truth, but let's not set them on fire. Big difference. Let's pray for them. Big difference. In addition, some other fires that we start by this small member of the body, our tongues, and it just unleashes hell is by, by promoting fake news or, or in the many PR spins. And how many kids are going to school and they call it education, but it's really indoctrination that's setting hell and fire. That's what it is. It's like, hey, kids, we're going to set you on fire today. And if you try to put out the word of God, we're going to try everything in our power to suppress the word of God and the truth. And even if you're trying to get a positive message out, it's not going to get the same support as a negative message, of course, because the fire just spreads really quickly. It's hard to put it out. And what happens in the world we live in, every day is hell day. How many of you feel like that? Just the amount of negative news and anger and unholy, unhelpful communication has just reached the point of intolerable. What happens then is because of technology, a fire can get started anywhere and anyone can just throw their log in it. And now we can throw our own fuel on the fire because we can do it from our laptop and our phones. Interestingly enough, James uses this very intriguing language here. I don't know if you're shocked by that very last word. And he says that this kind of evil of communication, it comes from what? From hell. Okay? Wow. The word he uses in the original text is actually the word Gehenna. Jesus uses it like, I think, 11 times. 
And it's this uh, evocative picture. Let me tell you how this word came to life because it will help us understand better what James is kind of going for here. Outside the city of Jerusalem, there was a place called Gehenna. Gehenna was a place where pagan people would sacrifice children to demonic gods. That's how it originated. We're super horrified when we hear that, right? Like, oh no. But the reality is that today we call it the clinic. So, so that's where they would sacrifice children. And as a result, God's people considered Gehenna a place that was absolutely cursed. It was just demonic. It was dark, defiled, disgusting. And as a result, they didn't want to have anything to do with it or go near it. So eventually it became the town dump. And all the garbage and all the trash and everything that was broken and everything that was decaying would just be dumped there. And additionally, if you died and you were a criminal or an outcast, they would just throw your body there. They wouldn't even give you like a proper burial. They don't really have the time to go into detail, but Isaiah used this kind of language at the end of his book. That's where we kind of see it the first time. And then Jesus picks it up and he uses this word 13 times. And then James continues and he uses it as well. And it's this idea that the fire will just keep on burning. You would just set, see the smoke rising, you know, as all the garbage and decay burning in Gehenna, right? And then at night, you would see the flames rising because Gehenna was this perpetual burning dump of death and decay and demonic and destruction. And what James is saying or alluding to is that our tongue can just unleash Gehenna. And we could just set people on fire. We just set things on fire. We could just bring death and destruction and decay and the demonic. How do you feel? <laughs> that we have such power. So let me ask you a question. How many of us, it was our parents that just set our families on fire? Or we're the ones setting our families on fire. And the fire is just raging every week. How many of us are the arsonists? Sometimes we're the victims. Sometimes we're the arsonists, right? And if you're the arsonist, sometimes you don't even know it. Or, or you, sometimes you know it's like, oh, I did it again. I started the fire again. And if you're the victim, sometimes you just show up and you get sucked in, right? And, and then we throw some logs of our own in the fire. And then we blow on it. And then we just help the wildfire spread and bring destruction. Let me point us to the cross of Jesus Christ. Can I do that? So Jesus is hanging on the cross to die for our sins as our Lord and Savior. Check, check, check this picture out. And what people were doing, they were literally just giving him what? Hell. Unleashing hell on Jesus it was literally just a tongue unleashing hell, cursing him, yelling at him, name-calling Jesus, destroying his reputation, mocking his family. They were literally giving him hell. Remember that? Let me ask you, what does Jesus give them back? What does Jesus give them back? Heaven. He puts grace on them. And he says, Father, forgive them. They're giving me hell, I know, but Father, forgive them. And then he dies to answer his own prayer so that we could be forgiven. The point is this, when people give you hell, what do you give them back? The gospel. 
When people give you hell, you give them heaven. You get that's more of a poetic way. I like the gospel better. When people give you hell, you give them the gospel because that's what Christ did. When they set it on fire, you need to find a bucket of water. And this is the most difficult thing to do. And I'm speaking from my own experience because in moments like that, when you're super emotional, you will eventually say the wrong thing, right? And you've tried so many times, and I've tried so many times to white-knuckle it, but it just doesn't work. You, 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 you don't have it in you. Correct. I've said all of that to get to this word, correct. We don't have it in us. That's why the last point that we have to make is this. The Holy Spirit is the only one that can transform your tongue. That's it. Now, there's only hope if you are a genuine Christian. Because genuine Christians have the Holy Spirit, the helper, the helper, the one that helps, the one that can can make things happen in our life. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, there's no hope, but you can have the Holy Spirit if you accept Christ. So it's a choice, your choice, my choice. But here's what James says in the last section uh, for today, verses 7 to 12. We're going to cover the remainder of our passage. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and a sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the mouth, from the same mouth, come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Now, all these are communicating the same thing, right? And they're saying that what comes out of your mouth, out of my mouth, it comes out because it's first where? In your heart. That's why it comes out. So James gives the analogy of a spring, and, and, and it's this idea that a spring cannot give fresh water and salt water at the same time. It's one or the other. They're mutually exclusive. In the same way, if anger comes out, what's in your heart? Anger. If bitterness comes out of your mouth, what's in your heart? Well, based on God's word, bitterness, that's, that's what's in my heart. And then he uses the analogy of trees, and he says that different trees produce different kinds of fruit. So let's just say that you leave here and you decide, probably late in the year, but you decide that I like pears, apples, and cherries, and I'm going to go get myself a pear, cher- a pear, cherry, apple tree, and you go to the nursery and you ask them, hey, can I get a, a pear, apple, and cherry tree? They're probably going to say, you're nuts. Yeah, no, they don't, they don't come like that. <laughs> because each tree bears one kind of a fruit, right? And what James is saying is, you and I are like trees. And a good tree bears what? Good fruit. And ultimately, what James is saying, if the fruit that's coming out of you is not the fruit of the Holy Spirit, then there's something wrong in your heart. Something wrong that can only be changed and fixed by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's bottom line. But what he doesn't say is this, tame your tongue, but you're actually wasting your time because it's impossible. But what he says is you can't tame your tongue. Sure, you're, you're right there, but God can. 
But God can, through the work in the ministry of the Spirit in your life, that's your only solution. That's my only solution. In church, just in case we forgot, just in case we forgot, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Very specific. That's the fruit that comes out of a person that is filled with the Holy Spirit. Not anger and bitterness all the time and a lifestyle of anger and, and horrible words and unleashing hell. No, 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 no. A good tree bears what? Good fruit. So you may sing songs and you may pray prayers and you may quote verses from the Bible and a lot of them. But if what's coming out of you is not what comes from the Holy Spirit, the things that we listed, then you need to be honest about what's in your heart. And you need to invite the Holy Spirit to change who you are. And eventually that will change what you say. So it's the heart not the mouth first, that we need to focus on. But check out what Jesus, what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, 34 and 35. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth what speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Did you know that the words that we speak are, in a way, an invitation by God to be honest about the heart that we have? Like, ooh, I came out again. It's coming out pretty often. Okay, I know what's in my heart now. Thank you, Jesus, for showing me. And sometimes when those ungodly, destructive words come out, here's what we don't need to do. Double down, because that's what we do. Pretend you didn't say it. Like, no, I didn't say that. Minimize it. That's oh, nothing. My dad used to say it all the time. Blame shift or talk to people. Here's what you don't need to do. Deny it. Ah, that wasn't me. What? I'd never said anything like that. But instead of doing all these nasty things on top of the words, the nasty words that we speak, here's what we do need to do. Stop talking to people and start talking to God, period. Just stop talking. Don't say anything to anyone, but start talking to God. Start praying. Father, I'm apparently very angry. There's something evil in my heart because I always say it through my mouth. Then there's something evil in my heart. Father, I'm really bitter and my words bring so much destruction. I, I, I'm not doing so well. Father, I repent of all these. I want to turn away and I want to just leave them behind me. I want to focus. I give you my sin, Father. It breaks my heart for how many words hurt people. My words hurt people so many times. But Father, I fully embrace your forgiveness, which I so desperately need. And I thank you for it. And we need to pray these things not just once when you notice some garbage coming out, but consistently and faithfully as the Holy Spirit changes us. May God help us. What happens is in those moments where we see who we are, truly see the colors of our heart, true colors of our heart, we have two options to accept it and continue in the same way that we've always done life or accept it and then invite the Holy Spirit to change us. Big difference. A Holy Spirit-tamed tongue says things like, please and thank you. 
The Holy Spirit tamed tongue says, thank you, I appreciate you, it's my fault. A Holy Spirit tamed tongue says, I'm sorry, please forgive me. This needs to change in my life. I should have never said those hurtful things to you. A Holy Spirit tamed tongue says, I love you. I appreciate you. You matter to me. A Holy Spirit tamed tongue says, I forgive you. I'm not going to bring it up ever again. A Holy Spirit tamed tongue says, I'm praying for you. How can I help you? That's what the tamed tongue sounds like. Now, here's, what, here's what's going to happen. Out there, the wildfire is just going to burn every inch of the earth until everything has been burned to the ground. Because that's what happens every day. But your heart, well, listen, your heart, my heart, you can be a good tree that bears good fruit because you are a child of God and you have the Holy Spirit, the helper in you. If you are a follower of Jesus, and I hope that everyone is here today, in a genuine, and if you're not, you have the chance today to become one, by the way. If you're a follower of Jesus and a genuine Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can change you from the inside out. Please do not be proud and get in his way. Don't quench him. Don't grieve him. Let him do what only he can do inside of you. Change you. But you need to surrender to him. Some of us are just not ready for that. I'm not ready to let go of these words that I always offend my wife with, man. I'm not ready to just, nah, because I'm bitter and I'm angry and I'm just not ready to just dump it at the foot of the cross. I'm not. You need to surrender. You need to be ready to just fully surrender and bring your sin at the foot of the cross. And by the way, by the way, what the redeemed tongue can do is absolutely incredible. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. I'm going to close with two sort of word pictures, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. There's a guy in the Old Testament by the name of Isaiah, and he's a prophet and a man of God. And Isaiah gets an invitation into the presence of God in the unseen realm. And he sees Jesus high and exalted, seated on a throne. And we have this beautiful imagery, if you read right at the beginning of Isaiah, this was about 700-ish years before Jesus even stepped on the earth. Jesus is in heaven, ruling and reigning, surrounded by angels that cry out, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Isaiah felt like he was a pretty good guy until he stepped into the presence of Christ. Oh, and sometimes you just, you just don't know how unholy you are until you step into his presence. And Isaiah's first response was, woe is me, meaning I'm cursed, I'm doomed. I'm a dead man. I'm a man of what? Unclean lips. And I come from a people of unclean lips. And then an angel, what? An angel takes a coal, brings it to him, presses on his lips and says, your sin is atoned for, you are forgiven. And he purifies his mouth. And then Isaiah goes on to preach and to give us the entire book of Isaiah. With a clean pair of lips, with a clean tongue. The point is we are all people of unclean lips and we come from a people of unclean lips. Do we ever? (laughs) 
And the Holy Spirit right now says, and not only today, because this is based on God's word, right? That's what the Holy Spirit does. It really, it really brings God's word to just to, 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 to bear fruit in us. So, so the Holy Spirit right now says, I want to purify you. I, I want to purify your heart. I want to purify your mouth. I want to, I want to forgive you. I want to cleanse you. And then I want to make you, make, I want to change you and change your life by the help of the Holy Spirit. And I want to, I want to, I want those lips to be anointed now and to appointed for things like prayer and like worship and like encouragement and speaking truth always and blessing. But will you fully surrender to him? Will I fully surrender to him? When the gathering of the first believers, this is the second image picture that I want to give you. When the gathering of the first believers happened, the book of Acts, Acts chapter two, like we were kind of all gathered here today, the Holy Spirit came down and the Holy Spirit came down and he rested above each of the people in that room. He rested like how? Like how? Tongues of fire. Tongues. Have you ever thought about that? Tongues of fire? Like, wow, that's interesting. What fire does is it purifies in one sense. And I'm sure that's what he did in that context, or at least, or at least part of it, or at least one of the things that those tongues of fire did, right? But then the Holy Spirit, through some visible spiritual and divine tongues, transformed their tongue so that they would go out and sing the praises of Jesus, so that they would pray and evangelize and share the gospel and bring truth to a world filled with lies. And bring life to a world filled with death and bring hope to a world filled with fear and anxiety and bring reconciliation to a world filled with devastation. So what is the Holy Spirit saying to you today? And that's the question that I want to camp on. And I want to give us just a little bit of time at the end. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you today? It's just got to say the same thing as look for all of us in a sense. But you've said some words that, that are kind of just yours, you know, your sins, your, your unleashing of this hell and, you know, setting this fire in your family, in your neighborhood, whatever. What do you need to apologize to God for? What are some of the things your lips were loose with? Words that beat up and not build up because first, First, church, we always have to address our relationship with God. If you sin, sin of any kind, you offend God first, and you have to fix that problem first. And then after you resolve your sin with God, only through, the, through Jesus and the forgiveness we receive from God because of his sacrifice for us, then is there someone in your life right now, maybe even here today, this morning, and you need to just literally tell them, I'm sorry. I just messed up again. Is there something specific that you said that you need to own up to so that they can be healed and your relationship can just be restored? That's God's heart for us, church. So I want just to spend just a little bit of time. And again, I'm going to ask not just you, but, but myself too. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? What are some of the things that you need to confess to God? Some of the words, some of the way you, maybe it's your attitude, maybe it's just, I don't know, how you say it. Those are all sins in the same category. The tongue, they come out like that, but it's actually your heart. 
Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.